Listen, this semester we're doing a sermon series called um, A Better Story. A true story of God, you, and the cosmos. Um, and I, I need to just make a confession to you. Um, this, this sermon series is going to make me really mad because every single week um, I want to talk about tons of things and have a four-hour time with you. Um, but I'm going to do my best to keep it short and sweet. And I want to make myself available to any of you who have questions because the things we're combing through are huge and these categories are massive. Um, and there's, each one of them is just a gold mine of discussion and conversations. And there, there may be, uh, second to only one other uh, sermon this semester, there, there, there may be no other one that's as much of a gold mine for the people of God throughout the history of the world um, than the one we're in tonight. Gen- Genesis chapters 1 and 2 um, set a stage and create categories that, that the whole rest of biblical history and, the, and world history um, are still being filled and populated with and manifested, uh, you know, from. Uh, it's just an absolute goldmine, but tonight we're going to be looking at Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and, and I make an apology um, to all of you who, like me, would also like to have conversations about um, how important is it for Christians to talk about literal creation stories and those kinds of things. Um, you got YouTube, so you can do that. Uh, we're going to start in the beginning. In the beginning... Anybody know what was in the beginning? God. Yeah, in the beginning, God. Oh, that's how the Bible starts. This is the beginning of beginnings. God had no beginning. So you might say God, comma, and then. The eternal God who had no beginning made something other than God's self. In the beginning, God, and then. Are you with me so far? Okay, do I... Should I do that again? Are you with me? Okay. Well, you're in college, but I don't know. I don't know what they're teaching you these days. Uh, I mentioned I'm not quite 40 yet, uh, but I'm getting there. Um, listen, God made something other than God's self, and, and there's a sense in which all things can be divided in, in a sense amongst that line. There's God, and then there's other. There's the creator and the creation. The universe, which contains everything we know, is made by God, the cosmos. The Hebrews called it the heavens and the earth, in the beginning God, and then the creation, everything else. In the beginning God made the heavens and the earth, and the earth, this prized marble in the center of the cosmos, was wild and waste. Moses used those same words to describe the wilderness that the Hebrew people were wandering in when they were being formed. This creation before its creator waiting to be formed. And the breath of God, the very spirit of God, hovered over his prize and speaking her to life, he said, let there be light and there was. And if you read the opening pages of the Bible, you see this drama unfold where God, the one who was before there was a before, with majesty and marvel he calls the day and the night into being. And today, knowing what we know, we might say that he made the earth twirl about the sun. He made mist and mountain and sky and sea and fowl and fish and four-legged creature. There is poetry and order riddling this story. Rhythms and breaths, beginnings and completions. If you read Genesis 1, it's a riot of compliments complementing each other in turn with the Creator complementing the whole thing. We're going to begin a few slides, see if you can follow along. In Genesis 1.10, and God said that it was good. Genesis 1.12, 
sorry, and God saw that it was good. Genesis 1.12, and God saw that it was good. Genesis 1.18, and God saw that it was good. Genesis 1.25, and God saw that it was good. I skipped another good in there earlier because it didn't say the exact sentence, but God called other things good. And Genesis 1.31, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Do you notice a theme? Yes. All that God made was good. Stars and planets, plants and sky, sea and bird, beast and humankind, it's good and very good. Amen. Some of us, I know, have come to believe that God doesn't particularly like this world. Maybe he didn't like it from the beginning. Maybe we believe that this was some sort of trial run, a rough draft with eternity at stake. Or maybe you believe that it didn't start that way, but Satan our ancestors, perhaps ourselves, at some point along the way have mounted so great a rebellion against God that he's fed up and done with it. If you believe that story, then this whole thing is just about our souls. Never mind how they alone became the only thing worth saving from all God's good creation. But now it's just about some disembodied piece of existence which needs to be saved from a sinking ship. In that story, those of you who want to banish plastic straws and put out Amazonian rainforest fires are, in the words of N.T. Wright, just greasing the wheels of a car about to go off a cliff. In that story, God doesn't care about the stars and the seas and the beasts and the bodies. He doesn't care about kings and culture. No, all that matters is for you and I to say a prayer and save our souls and jump on the spiritual life raft to something better. Something we, of course, some people tell us can't imagine, so don't even try. If you believe that story, I don't know where you got it, but it wasn't from the Bible. God made all things good. And friends, he did not give up that business after humanity's rebellion. He still only makes good things, like you. We'll talk about sin next week. Some of you are probably itching because I just said that God made good things and you can't wait to talk about sin. We'll talk about it next week, about how every facet of our fallen lives has been warped and influenced by sin, about what it means to live in God's good creation and open rebellion. But first, let's get this straight. All things were made by, for, and through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the creator and sustainer of all things and he made all things good and he does not change. Satan and our sin have not won so great a victory that God is trashing his creation. Quite the contrary, he is redeeming it. Jesus cares about the flowers and the food. He cares for the birds and he cares even more for your bodies. If, if you remember, Jesus leveraged this common knowledge because his disciples knew that God cared about birds and flowers. Jesus leveraged that to say, if God cares so much for them, how much more is he going to care for you? I'm paraphrasing, but you can read it in Matthew chapter 6, 7. Know your Bibles. He cares about all of these things, not just your spirits or your souls. One of the most profound moments in my life was the moment I met my first child, Jackson David, my beloved son. In the middle of a crowded hospital room with my wife drugged up and her stomach ripped open and that bloody child screaming, the most singular truth I knew was that he was lovely. It hit me like a lightning bolt, friends. 
This child who had been the source of pain for my bride and cost us greatly in so many ways and was just then looking quite disgusting and making horrible noises, his goodness floored me. Immediately I knew what my wife knew since she felt him alive inside of her that this is good. And I don't mean, of course, that he's acting good. He just is good. He is And he is therefore worthy of love. Because God only makes things worthy of love. And then a second thought hit me. If that's true of him, could it also be true of me? I assume I was there at the moment of my birth. But given what I take to be a pretty painful, miserable, and potentially embarrassing experience, I am glad I don't recall it. But at that moment, was I so different from my son? I don't know. So I asked my dad today. I sent him a text and I said, Dad, were you there in the room when I was born? What were you thinking? I want to know. And I, I put a question mark and here's what he sent me. Would you put that text up, Keely? If you got it? Yes, I was in the room. We did not know if you were a boy or girl. Looking at your face before I could see the rest of you was the most sublime moment of my life. That moment lasted an eternity in the blink of an eye. I did a lot of thinking about your future in a couple of seconds. Then the rest of you was born, and when I saw the stream of pee showering everyone, I realized you were a boy. (laughs) Amazing memory. (laughs) Uh, At 18 years old, my dad was 18 when I was born. At 18 years old, my dad looked at me and he saw something good. Something very good. Our God only makes good and beautiful things. And growing up, I believed that about the rain, and climbing trees, and bicycles, and cans of Coca-Cola, and the sea. Oh my goodness, the sea. And maybe I believe that about me as well. I don't know. I don't recall reflecting on my goodness at all until I began to question it. None of us begin to believe that God makes mistakes by looking at the stars. We begin to believe that when, in the midst of guilt and shame, we listen to anything other than God. And so, by the time my son was born, I had come to believe, quite by accident, that sometimes God might not make good things. And by that, I meant me. Because when I looked at my son and knew he was a good creation, I spontaneously wondered if the same was true about me. Is it possible that God made me good? And no sin or Satan could make me utterly undesirable to the one who made me? Is it possible that no amount of sin and shame, that no amount of whoring myself out or warring with God's kingdom can make his love for me revocable? Is it possible that the one who holds the stars and the sky and each one of our souls together finds me quite lovely in spite of all my sins and scars? Is it possible that what's true for the stars and the sea and my son is true for you and me? For God so loved the world. The Greek word for world there is cosmos. The whole of God's good creation, God loved it. Not just my son and you and me, but the whole of God's good creation. The whole of God's creation is waiting to be set free, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 20. 
God tells of the whole earth being filled with his glory. Numbers 14, 21. Peter talks of God restoring all things. Acts chapter 3, verse 21. Paul talks of Jesus gathering all things into one in Jesus Christ, things in heaven and on earth. Ephesians 1, 10. Our God makes good things, and he is set about redeeming all the good things that he has made. N.T. Wright, one of the church's foremost New Testament scholars in the world today, says it this way in a fantastic book called Surprised by Hope. If you want a summary of it, you can Google um, Stephen Colbert and N.T. Wright, Surprised by Hope. Four minutes. It's great. Um, Will you put this quote up, Keely? To put it bluntly, creation is to be redeemed. That is, space is to be redeemed. Time is to be redeemed. And matter is to be redeemed. It was good from the start. And he didn't give up on it, and he never will. As space unfolded across reality and light stretched its legs across the universe, the opening refrain of time and the cosmos was good, good, very good. In case you don't know, God only makes good things. Next week, we will talk about brokenness and rebellion and God's good creation, but tonight... I want to land on why God made all these good things. Why he made the stars and the spirits and why he made body and blood and why he made you and me. It wasn't because he has needs. It wasn't because he was lonely. That singular eternal fount of community. It wasn't because he needed glory. The one whose glory is always full. He didn't need more. You can say that God made us for his glory. Some of us are used to that language. And that's fine language, especially when you know the scriptures. God created all of this for his glory. That's true, but often that language is not very helpful for us because we have no idea what we mean by that. A disciple of the Apostle John said it this way, Life in a person is the glory of God. His words have often been summarized in, in a different way, you may have heard this quote, it's a, it's a good one. The glory of God is a man fully alive. Which is a baller sentence. They didn't have hashtags in the year 125, but that is a great one. The glory of God is a man fully alive. But now we have to define what it means to be fully alive. What does that mean? Which summons for Christians, especially ones who've been steeped in God's work throughout history testified to through the scriptures, testified to by the church for the ages. When you talk about a human being being fully alive, it summons for Christians images and visions of the abundant life we have in Jesus Christ and his promises. It's a lot. Why did God do all this? What does it mean for God to do all of this for his glory? What does it mean for us to be fully alive? And if you look to the vision of things to come, which God has been promising through his people for thousands of years, the end where God is fully glorified and humanity is fully alive, there amongst the overwhelming imagery, a loud voice from heaven booms out saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with his people. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Revelation 21.3 God did all of this. He created good and beautiful things out of himself, you and me and the entire cosmos, so that he could be with us. God with us. Emmanuel. That's why God did all this, friends. God has decided that he will be glorified by being 
with his creation, specifically people. That's why Irenaeus can say that the glory of God is a person fully alive because when we are with God, we are fully alive. God didn't, God didn't fashion you in wonder and beauty in order that you might just do things a certain way. He made you to be with you. Some of you are of the impression that you can uh, screw up God's plans and you forget that you are the plan. God did all of this to be with us. In the coming weeks, as we talk about sin and the exodus and the law and the tabernacle and the priests and the prophets, things you guys have been asking about, and the church and the present age and the age to come, and that was a joke, we will see over and over again just what God thinks of his creation. How much he delights in the good things that he has made. And just how bent he is on redeeming it, not throwing it away. And perhaps, by the grace of God, we'll see that what he desires for us more than anything else is to be with us. The God who flung the good stars into their good place. And who made every good hair on your good head just so. Though it may be fraught with sin and standing bent with rebellion, he wants you. He wants to be with you. And he is bending heaven and earth to make it so. And so if someone ever asks you, why do you think God did all this? To be with us is a very fine biblical answer. Friends, journey through the story of Scripture with us this semester and hear a better story. The true story of God and you and the cosmos, the God of all creation has not been hiding. And he has made himself known and made known to us just how much he wants to be with us and we see this most clearly in Jesus Christ. Amen? Each week, I want to take uh, about 60 seconds for us to reflect and have an opportunity to respond whatever God is doing in our minds and in our hearts. I might say this often for, for anybody who's new, but if you, if you haven't thought about this, it's crazy to me that this is normal now. Crazy that this is normal. That for many of us, we can go an entire day without a cumulative minute of silence with our phones, with our attention. I mean, I, I, I get into the elevator at the library and it's just four floors and we've all got to pull out phones in our pocket and check. Often we don't even unlock them. We just like do this thing with our thumb, make it bounce and then put it back. That's how, that's how we, we, we don't know how to be still. And, and, I, and I, I could say, I want you to go home tonight and I want you to turn off your phones five minutes before you go to sleep, which isn't a lot, but we'll panic and we won't do it. You know, we'll forget, then we'll feel like ashamed, and we're like, I can't even do five minutes, I suck, you know, or whatever the thoughts we have are, that's what I do. Uh, I don't know, maybe you're better than, maybe you're like, I don't care what that preacher man says, uh, and you're good, uh, but I'm the, I'm the other thing. Um, but, but so I thought it might be gracious for us to just take it on Tuesdays, uh, where we can just collectively take one minute of very uncomfortable silence, because we're not used to it, um, and just reflect on what God might be doing in our hearts and our minds, all right? So do that, and then we'll, we'll prepare ourselves for coming, to, responding to Jesus and, and his Lord's table, all right? Take 60 seconds.